Well, I, I wouldn't say it's an emergency podcast, but but one with a great deal of urgency. Welcome in. Today is March 11th, and this is the convo by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, the Jamie football writer at the paper, but guest hosting today on the convo, joined by Shane Metlin on the phone. Had, had to talk a little hoops today, obviously with what's going on in the world of, of James Madison basketball. Shane, you cover two very different teams. It's a little bit different than the situation I have covering football, and I'm just kind of wondering, before we really get into it, what's it been like this week? You're obviously covering two drastically different situations. You've got the JMU women who are gearing up, getting ready to play in the Colonial Athletic Association tournament later this week at Elon with all eyes on win that tournament and get in the NCAA tournament. And then you've got the JMU men who this week parted ways with Coach Lewis Rowe, former Coach Lewis Rowe, I should say now, uh, after a disappointing 9-21 and campaign. Two extremely, extremely different situations, Shane. Yeah, you know, um, keeping track on things on a national level right now but yeah, for very, very different reasons, like you said, you know, with the women you're watching to see, you know, where they might be as far as, you know, not large bursts of the NCAA tournament and, you know, how they compare to some of the other teams around the country and where, where they might go for the NCAA tournament if and when that comes about. And then on the men's side, you're kind of looking all over the country for who might be a candidate for the uh, opening job and, you know, who's interested and what people are saying about, you know, the opening at JMU, which seem to be getting a lot of interest at this point. Yeah, no, I would imagine so. That that new arena, I'm sure, is going to draw some folks in. And seeing, I'm sure, that the football success also will, will, draw some, will draw some people in. The women's basketball success, too. We'll talk about the men in a little bit. Uh, but I want to start with the women. Uh, last week you were in D.C. Uh, for the men's tournament uh, when James Madison lost uh, its game there. Uh, one-and-done game, the men. Uh, but now you're going down to Elon for the CA Women's Basketball Tournament this weekend. What's kind of the expectation going in? JMU, they're the two-seed, waiting on the winner of the seventh-seeded Elon Phoenix and tenth-seeded Hofstra Pride. What's kind of the expectations going in for the JMU women? I would imagine it's, it's kind of, as I said at the outset, win this thing and, and get to the NCAA Tournament. Yeah, and they are the number two seed, the uh, tiebreakers, after uh, they and Drexel both went 16-2. and two. But I would say, you know, I mean, Sean O'Regan came right out and said it on Monday that they consider themselves a favorite and the best team in the field. They expect to win it. You know, it can come down to, you know, tough breaks and how healthy you are and everything at this time of year, as they learned last year when they uh, got knocked out in the quarterfinals with, you know, players missing. But yeah, the expectation is to go down there and win the thing and not have to sweat too much on Selection Monday for the NCAA tournament, you know, just worrying about where they might be seated and where they might be heading as opposed to crossing their fingers and hoping they can get in. Uh, but, you know, you look at the resume and they probably have a slightly better at-large resume this year than they did at this time a year ago. They've got slightly better RPI. They've got more of those top 50-type wins. Um, so it's looking a little bit better for them as far as, you know, having some wiggle room to work with 
if they want to try to get to the NCAA tournament. I was going to say, I've seen some of the bracketology on the women's side, and, and it seems like there is a possibility that Colonial Athletic Association does get an at-large bid uh, in addition to its automatic bid. What do you think the likelihood of that is, and do you think whatever team is in, in, in search of that, whether it's JMU or Drexel, they have to win at least a couple of games in the league tournament? Yeah, I mean, I would think for JMU, if they are playing in a championship game against Drexel, they're in a really good spot to get an at-large bid. Because um, even a loss to Drexel is not going to be a bad loss on their resume. It's not going to bump them too far as far as um, RPI, which they still use pretty heavily on the women's side of things. It's kind of been phased out for the men's tournament. But that's still kind of one of the better metrics they have for the women. Um, loss to Drexel is not going to hurt them too much. Loss to anybody else in the conference is going to really hurt and make it you know tough to get in at an at-large. Um, and of course, you know beating Drexel, they're not only getting that automatic bid, they're also getting themselves another top 50, top 40 win, which would really help as far as you know seeding. You might see them get bumped up into the 10, 9, 10 range as far as seeding goes. And you know all along those lines, you know you almost kind of wonder if they'd rather be a 10 or 11, 12 type seed just as far as having a shot to go to the, uh, you know, Sweet 16 type of run, you know, just because if you're in that 8-9 game, then you got a number one seed waiting for you in the second round. Um, whereas if you're like an 11-12 seed, there's, you know, some beatable teams in your location where they, the way they set it up with the teams playing on campus and, you know, four seeds hosting. Yeah, I would think so too. The upper echelon in women's basketball is certainly – a few notches up from everybody else, I would say. It's, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's probably six teams that are significantly better than everybody else. And then, you know, I think is perfectly capable of beating, you know, some of those second-tier major conference teams. And, you know, could if they make it into the NCAA tournament, I wouldn't be surprised if they're playing on the second weekend at all, depending on the matches that they get when this bracket comes out. Yeah, no doubt. It, it should be interesting to see. But a business first for them. They enter the CAA tournament 25-4 and four overall. Winners of nine straight. What are they doing well right now? Are they hitting their peak at the right time? How do you kind of see it from that standpoint, just in terms of how they're playing? Yeah, I think so. And they've handled things that have been thrown at them really well. About as well as you would expect a team that has five seniors who... You know, even if some of them aren't getting the same kind of mints they've gotten earlier in their career, five seniors who have been through pretty much everything at this point are handling things that are thrown at them. They, you know, deal with, you know, all the emotions of that last weekend at the Convocation Center, plus their senior night, plus all the alumni and, you know, former All-Americans and things that come back for that kind of thing. They handle that and then, you know, don't have much of a letdown when they come back the next weekend, which... You know, it was kind of the exact opposite of what you saw with the Benz team. They, you know, really rode that emotion and played well in the, their last game in the combo. And then they go up to uh, those Northern teams for their last regular season weekend. And it was almost like they forgot the season was still going on at that point. And, you know, the women's team really handled that pretty well. They've handled, you know, various awards and things like that with, you know, the kind of, you know, a measured response you kind of expect from a veteran team and 
I think they're pretty much ready to go for the postseason. You know, thinking a little bit about what happened last year, but more about just, you know, if they can take care of business and play their capabilities, things will fall into place for them. That makes a lot of sense. And, and last year, it's, it's, it's tough to kind of use it as motivation, I would think, just because of the fact that they, they had players hurt. I mean, it wasn't their fault. It's not like they were in this epic battle and came up just short. Uh, it was because of injuries, and that's, you know, that, that's devastating for different reasons, not because, you know, you blew an opportunity that you had. So uh, good, good opportunity for JMU uh, this week down at Elon, uh, the CAA tournament, uh, and try to win and get in the NCAA tournament as the automatic, and if not, you know, wait and see where the chips fall in terms of an at-large. Uh, Kamaya Smalls, CA Player of the Year, Shane, what were what were your reactions? Was it kind of as expected because she had been so dominant uh, throughout the season? It was expected, and at the same time, it was kind of up in the air because it was very much expected at this point last season. And then uh, they sort of surprisingly gave that award to Bailey Greenberg from Drexel. And, you know, you look at this season, Kamaya's had just as good a year as she did a year ago and lived up to every expectation. But a player like Eva Hodgkins from William & Mary had also had, you know, kind of a player of the year caliber season. Uh, just wasn't playing on quite as good a team, although William & Mary's had a nice season. Um, so, you know, you kind of expected Kamaya to get it this year, but just based on how the vote went a year ago, I don't know if they were completely... Uh, convinced it was going to happen this year. And I know everybody who is in that locker room was extremely thrilled to see it kind of go what they would consider the right way this time around because uh, there was some anger, you know, frankly, last year that she didn't get it. And then, you know, maybe they kind of had to sit on that a little bit because when they lose in the quarterfinals, you know, even given the injury situation, you know, maybe they don't want to sit and complain too much about the uh, postseason awards when they turn around and lose their next game. But, you know, there was some anger among that team that she was not picked to win the conference player of the year last year. And so, you know, that happened this year. I think everybody was pretty happy for her because one of those kind of star players who teammates love and she doesn't play selfishly and, you know, she could have probably boosted her numbers a little bit if that was, you know, really what she was all about. She didn't do it. So, yeah, everybody's pretty happy for her. Yeah, and that's that's a good point there in terms of what they could do in the postseason, how far they could go, not only in a CAA tournament, but once they get in the NCAA tournament, if they get there, is because she's so unselfish and because maybe they have a little more balance this year than they've had in years past with, with Jackie Benitez and Kiki Jefferson. Kayla Cooper-Williams has always kind of been solid there on the glass as a, as a rebounder and a scorer inside the paint. But because they have maybe a little bit more balance than they have, do you think that helps them? I think it does, but then also, you know, Kamaya is the kind of player who seems to know when it's her time to just take over. And I think that helps them as much, too, is that, you know, something they were kind of missing when she wasn't able to play or wasn't able to play at full strength last year was you might see Jackie Benitez try to kind of take over a game. And if she's not extremely hot from three-point range, that's not necessarily her style. Uh, but, you know, Kamaya kind of has that, you know, innate ability to know, okay, I need to be taking it to the hole right now. I need to, you know, be get to the free throw line or I just need to be the one handling the ball. And also knows when that's not necessarily what they need from her. And so 
I think that's kind of, you know, maybe the biggest key to them making some noise here in the postseason. Yeah, so the JMU women, they'll get, as I said before, they'll get the winner of Elon and Hofstra tomorrow night, Thursday at 5 p.m. You'll have the semifinal on Friday, championship game Saturday, and then selection Monday in terms of the NCAA tournament with the women. Again, I know kind of an unfamiliar voice, but a familiar voice here on the convo. Uh, used to hear me on the walkthrough with the football podcast, but uh, talking some hoops with Shane Metlin today. I'm Greg Medea. Going to switch gears and, and talk some JMU men's hoops. There's plenty to get into uh, this week. Whenever you have a coaching change, it's it's kind of mass chaos. I know what you're going through right now, bud, uh, because, <laughs> you know, I went through it. Uh, you know, I, I know you texted me. Uh, I think it was at, what was it Sunday morning? You were debating whether or not to drive home uh, from from DC to, to to back to the valley. I had that same uh, kind of angst and anxiousness uh, when I was leaving Colgate University and driving back south uh, as Mike Houston was getting ready to make his decision uh, whether or not to stay or go from from James Madison to East Carolina. Uh, so I know exactly kind of what you were going through, waiting to see when JMU would pull the plug on the Lewis Rowe era. That came officially uh, Monday morning uh, when they mutually parted ways was the way James Madison put it. Uh, Rowe, 43-85 and 85 over four seasons. Chain, it's, it's kind of, you hate to say it, because Lou, if you, if you kind of see him at all and, and interact with him at all, you know how uh, solid of a person he is, but uh, it was kind of something everybody saw coming. Yeah, and, you know, that was, you know, basically the reaction that everybody I've talked to has had. You know, we knew this was coming, and we didn't necessarily want it to happen, but, you know, it's a bottom-line business in the end where, you know, the university really can't afford to have a basketball program that's not even contending for a winning record or, you know, in the mix to, you know, compete in this conference right now. And it was time to move on. They... You know, nobody feels good about seeing a guy everybody really likes go and a guy who did things, you know. You know, frankly, he did everything the right way other than, you know, figure out a way to win some of those close games. Um, But, you know, he handled it, you know, with about as much class as he could possibly imagine. And even, you know, talking to him and some of the assistants and everything after the news came down, they seemed to all be pretty upbeat about you know, where things are going and, you know, what they might be up to next. And so, you know, I guess when you have, you know, months really to kind of prepare for the actual moment, maybe it makes things a little bit easier to handle. Yeah, that that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, just out of curiosity, before we get into what's next for JMU, do you have any idea what could be next for, for Lewis Rowe? Uh, not specifically, but I would be... Yeah, just kind of generally. Not, um, not getting a uh, – he should get a very solid assistant coaching job somewhere, I would imagine. Um, <clears throat> with his you know, kind of track record as being a good recruiter, somebody with head coaching experience, you know, uh, he has ties to a lot of coaches around the country. You know, you look at, you know, if something were to open up in the SEC or in the ACC or somewhere where they're looking for a guy who can really recruit in Florida and Georgia and some of those talent-rich areas, I would think he would get a you know, good look, especially when you consider somebody with head coaching experience. and his, You know, you, frankly, when you look at it, 
he did not have the resume for a head coaching job in the CAA when he came in. So as disappointing as probably the ending and the way that it went down for him is, he also comes away with this with that on his resume, that he's been a head coach, he's run his own program, he's recruited these guys, he's done this, he's done that. Even if he didn't win the games, I think he set himself up for you know, having a nice career in the basketball world going forward. Yeah, I'd agree. And the way this season kind of played out, was it stunning to you that for whatever reason they, they couldn't win games? I mean, just from kind of being an outsider when it comes to that, that basketball program, it seemed like the players liked him. He liked the players. They played hard. Uh, it seemed like, you know, they had games that went down to the wire and they just couldn't get it done. Was it surprising to you for whatever reason it just it just never clicked and never resulted in wins uh, for a guy that recruited really well? The players came in with good with good backgrounds uh, in terms of their high school resumes and prep resumes, uh, and for whatever reason just didn't didn't work at the college uh, didn't work at the college level in the CAA and getting wins. I mean, yes and no because there are a lot of things that happened this year that weren't too much different than what we'd seen in previous years. So in that way, I guess you can't say that you're like completely surprised. But it did seem like they were making some progress at times. You know, they they were never a team where, wow, they would look like they could go 25-4 like the women's team did this year and, you know, have that kind of resume with <clears throat> no bad losses. But, you know, for a team that was always going to be a little bit up and down, there was a point this season, you know, around the holidays, around New Year's, where they were playing pretty well right before conference season started. And even getting into that conference opener, they took Hofstra, which had just, you know, won the conference regular season and tournaments, going to the NCAA tournament. They were really taking it to Hofstra in that conference opener and just missed free throws down the stretch to lose that game. And then, from there, it seemed like they just kind of lost a ton of confidence and a ton of, you know, faith in what they were trying to do, and something just didn't click. I don't even know if it's just that it didn't click. It was almost like he got unbuckled to mm. a degree, like that, you know, things were going pretty well, and once they saw it unravel a little bit, it just spiraled. And it was sort of a strange situation, but at the same time, you know, we were looking at a guy who hadn't put together that winning season yet, so... You know, maybe it wasn't quite as you know surprising as we tend to look at it. We we kind of heaped expectations on them based on the guys who were coming back and the fact that the conference seemed wide open. But at the same time, they hadn't necessarily proven a ton at that point. Right, right. It was still the same group that it that it had so many losing seasons in a, in a row. Uh, so I guess I guess that's a fair point there, Shane. All right, let, let's talk about what's next because. You already have a couple really good pieces. DNRonline.com, you could read it. You could pick up a Daily News record, a uh, hard copy of the paper if you'd like. Uh, you had uh, one out right away on, on candidates that could be next. So let's go there. Uh, let's go there first. Uh, I think you, you've kind of made this uh, a point uh, to, to have him as your lead guy in terms of the candidates, at least in the pecking order of how you listed them, and that's Radford's Mike Jones. It seems like the national media has talked him up as well. What's the take there? Is that as good of a done deal, or do you think that 
still has a ways to go and, and still has to play out uh, as Jeff Bourne kind of at least goes through some candidates. Yeah, I mean, you hear things that, you know, the rumor mill and the gossip and everything is that it's close to a done deal. I tend to gather, you know, talking with people who are employed by JMU, but not necessarily the decision makers, that the word that comes down from Godwin Hall is that they're going to do their due diligence and this might not be like an extremely quick hire in the next couple of days that there's going to be an interview process and everything. And you know, to say anybody's a done deal at this point, I think is probably getting a little ahead of ourselves. And, but obviously I'm not in the room and not, you know, getting any direct word from the people who are going to pull the trigger on this. They're going to be pretty tight lipped, but I would be surprised if uh, done deal is really the right term to use at this point, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon and two days after it made the announcement. Um, but it does seem like there's definitely some smoke there as far as, you know, Mike Jones goes. I originally, originally, personally just had a little bit of skepticism just because that's a name that tends to come up with a lot of jobs, especially in this area, mm-hmm. you know, after being at Radford for quite a while. And, yeah, he was linked to the win and marry job last year to Elon, Appalachian State, like several similar type jobs have come open and his name tends to be mentioned. So whether or not that's just speculation on part of the media or, you know, he has friends who kind of, you know, like to <laughs> talk and put his name out there. Yeah, I the don't old, know, but <laughs> maybe the an agent. I, yeah. Yeah. The more I dig into this one, the more it seems like interest, at least on his end, is uh, it's, it's legitimate in that, you know, he kind of sees JMU as potentially a step up when it comes to, you know, facilities and a larger fan base and, you know, just the, the potential of the program in general. Yeah, do you think it's got to be someone uh, that has good Virginia ties, knows the area well, uh, knows uh, college basketball uh, up and down kind of the, the mid-Atlantic area well, I mean, I think another name that, that's being thrown around a little bit and one that you mentioned in your story, Jason Williford, uh, assistant at Virginia. What's what's the take there? Does it have to be uh, somebody like that, whether it's a head coach or an assistant coach? Does it have to have does, does that person have to have ties to the area? You know, I don't know if I would say that that's like a requirement, especially on use end. If a guy can coach, he can coach. Uh, those kind of ties, you know, they always help if you can recruit. In the Washington D.C. area, that's going to be, you know, a major benefit to a program in this in this state. But I, I don't know if I would say it's a requirement from JMU. But you also have to consider what would make JMU an attractive job to the candidate. And sometimes it's that tie to the area that does that. You know, you hear names tossed around by fans and stuff for a guy like Steve Forbes, who's doing really well in East Tennessee. And, yeah, he's doing really well in another major, but he's got that going there. What about Jan Hugh? Not in the at all, but what about Jan Hugh would make that a more attractive job and something he's already established as a place where he can win? And maybe his next job is more like a you know major conference job than going to a Jan Hugh, even if, you know, even if you look at every factor comparing Jan Hugh and East Tennessee, and I don't know this is the case. Maybe JMU is nicer and a better place all around. It doesn't mean it's the best fit for 
any particular individual when they have to pack up and move and completely change their life. Kind of leads me into what I wanted to talk about is your story today uh, in the paper. Uh, coaches kind of talking the pros and cons of the job. Uh, before we get into some specifics with it, just kind of what was the consensus? If you had to, if you had to come up with a bottom line consensus about what coaches are saying about the job, what would it? What would that be? Overall positive. Um, overall feeling like this is a place where people should be able to win, and there's a little bit of confusion as to why it hasn't worked out for. You know, going on more than 20 years now, with a few exceptions, and, you know, I think some people might argue that, you know, Matt Brady did a good job while he was here, um, you know, having some 21 seasons in an NCAA tournament and everything, but he definitely also wasn't necessarily lighting the world on fire as, you know, the JMU coach. So, you know, I think people look at it as a place where somebody could win, especially with an upcoming facilities upgrade, uh, the budget that's in place and things. But there's also some skepticism that maybe the administration hasn't supported men's basketball to the degree that's needed um, when you look at it. I know that's you know, something that's come up uh, since I wrote that article where some you know assistant coaches and people have talked to me about you know what they think of JMU. Since I wrote that article, I've spoken to, you know, a former UVA player. I've spoken to a high school coach that had several players recruited by UVA. So somebody who knows Jason Wilford pretty well. And, you know, their, their uh, you know, takeaway was that Ron Sanchez was in the mix for his JMU job four years ago and came away unconvinced that the administrative support was there that was necessary for him to succeed. Yeah, that's that, that's that's what I really find interesting, because the one quote you had in there that, that just stuck out to me uh, was, was a mid-major head coach told you, did they give Coach Rowe enough time to build it up the right way? I don't know. I hope so, but it's tough to start over completely a few years ago and then fire him when one season falls apart. They fired another guy who went to the tournament and won 20 games. There are a lot of pieces in place, but I'd be wary of how much support you'd get. That, to me, was like the resounding, like, "Uh uh-oh, if you don't have coaches that believe in the administration, which is so strange because on the football side, you have an administration that's all in on football, at least at the FCS level, and, you know, go out of their way to support, whether it's it's Kurt Signetti or was Mike Houston or or who's been in that job for the last four or five years. So to me, that's just that that really is is resonating because if you're a basketball school, and I, I think everybody at JMU would like to be, uh, and and probably still considers themselves a basketball school first, you, you better find a way to start. I don't know, upping that that commitment level, correct? Yeah, and it's it's a perception issue for sure. Whether or not it's an actuality that they're not giving the support that's needed. I don't know, but it's definitely a perception with some people in the industry that, you know, maybe they're not. And, you know, coaches are always going to be a little bit, you know, wary of when they see somebody who has the same job title as them get fired. Right. You know, you're going to wonder, you're going to feel bad for the guy. You're going to think about what if that was me and my family, all that stuff. And I think that was a little bit, what was coming through with that particular comment you just read, 
Um, because, I mean, we think, I think everybody also realizes that, you know, after four seasons without any kind of improvement, you know, what was going to happen with Lou Rowe was what was going to happen. But the point about, you know, Matt Brady and making the NCAA tournament and winning 21 games this season that he was fired, there might be more to that. That that's definitely kind of jumped out at coaches I've talked to. Yeah. That, you know, maybe don't understand. Perhaps there was more going on in that situation than just the wins and losses. There was, maybe it was a personality conflict, things like that. But when you're just looking at raw numbers and seeing what's happened to a guy who won pretty consistently and a guy who was an alum in the span of four years, that that is going to come up with some of these coaches, and they're going to have questions about, okay, what can I do? What can be done to make sure I'm not in the same situation four years from now? Yeah, and, you know, you, you can't blame them for thinking that way. You know, in some regards. Yeah, no, no doubt. And the other side of the coin is. When it comes to resources and support, they are getting a brand new arena that'll open uh, for, for next season. So you can say what you want about about administrative support. At the end of the day, there's going to be a brand new state of the art facility that that's going to help. Yeah, and I think there's some of those things that if somebody comes in to interview for this job and has those questions, I think there's things that are going to be easy for Jeff Bourne and whoever sitting in that room to answer. Uh, what you said, we we're building a new arena and we're not going to build this arena and not try to win in it and not do everything we can to fill it with fans who are watching a good basketball team. Um, and, you know, there's other things. I, I'm sure there are coaches who have noticed that JMU's playing two-for-one games with teams that it used to be in their conference. You know, they go into ODU and George Mason back-to-back seasons and they're not playing as many home games as they used to. Those are things that they notice, and I'm sure that probably is something they mean when talk about support. Mm-hmm. And that was not an easy situation for Blue to have to play those games. It didn't make his job any easier, but it also had to be done to be ready for this season where you have a brand-new arena and you're going to try to bring teams in for this season. And to make a little bit of money so you're ready for this. You know, they get paid pretty well to go oh, yeah. play at ODU, mm-hmm. even if from an emotional standpoint, you're thinking, we were in a conference with ODU not that long ago and we can't get home and home with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. A couple of names before we before we wrap up I wanted to get to. Uh, Kevin Sutton, what's kind of the thought there? Um, you know, alum, everybody seems to like him a lot. Um, he's, you know... Building his resume up with a lot of you know, nice head coach or assistant coaching positions, and has been a really ha- successful high school coach in the past. Uh, Rhode Island, they're a program that's kind of on the rise. Uh, you know, it's a name I wouldn't be surprised at all if he is able to interview once again and you know put his name in there and try to try to you know convince the uh, decision makers this time around that he's the man for the job. But I wouldn't necessarily put him at the top of the list either at this point. Tony Shaver? Uh, you know, I haven't been able to talk to anybody who knows exactly where he stands on things, but the word has always been that he's somebody who would want to get back into coaching at some point, and you'd have to think there's a lot of uh, a lot of reasons why that might work out for him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then lastly, do you have an off-the-radar name uh, that, that you think people should be paying a little bit more attention to? 
Um, you know, somebody like uh, Jeremy Ballard, who's got a uh, Florida International, uh, is doing pretty well down there. They've had a couple of winning seasons back to back. He's a young guy, but has a head coaching experience now. Is a former VCU assistant, so knows this region, knows this area, has recruited the area. Um, they play really, you know, they play kind of that, you know, classic VCU havoc style where they're getting up and down the court, putting a lot of pressure on teams. So it'd be a fun entertaining style if you know he was you know able to get back to the CAA. Yeah, it should be fascinating to, to watch this all play out. And you can follow Shane uh, on Twitter. You can follow him dnronline.com, all his stories to kind of keep up with the latest of the James Madison men's basketball coaching search because uh, yeah, I, I think this is one that the people care about. I think it's the, the thing the fan base has been most excited about. Uh, with basketball, probably since since they made the NCAA tournament, right? Am I am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, there's so much hope and excitement to go into a new arena and kind of start from scratch that I feel like you know, yeah, there's probably as much talk about the uh, men's basketball program right now as there's been in several years, and it'll be interesting to see the reaction then once the there's actually some news and facts to talk about with uh, hopefully a new hire coming in the coming weeks, I would assume. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, again, a uh, special edition of the Convo. I got to guest host it, uh, which is terrific. I was thrilled to do that. Good stuff from Shane, as always. Yeah, again. I'm glad you... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Glad, you, glad you got on the line with me because it's hard to get everybody into a room at this point in the uh, year with so much going on. So, so I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no, no problem at all. Again, I'm sure Shane will have an episode of the convo for you. Maybe I'll guest host it again uh, by the time James Madison makes a hire, or maybe the women will be on to the NCAA tournament. Uh, until then, for Shane Metlin, I'm Greg Medea uh, saying thanks for tuning in.